Hello and welcome to the first ever Owen Joe show with myself Owen and of course Joe Lowry. Uh, we will be joining you over the next few weeks, presuming Rising make it that far, to discuss things from behind the scenes, from when we go in and listen to and speak to several players at training, chats with, with Rick as well, and we'll be trying to bring you behind the scenes about what we're hearing from in there, as well as in adding our own views on the team, some of the opponents and what to look for. So to start off then, let's have a quick look at this week's opponent, Austin. Joe. That's right, yeah, Austin with their victory over Los Dos last night. We're recording this on Thursday. Austin will be Phoenix's first-round playoff opponent. Uh, they've, they've matched up twice so far earlier this season. The first was a 1-0 loss back in April. It was the first loss of the season for Phoenix Rising after that early string of draws and then then one victory previously uh, before that midweek matchup with Austin Bold. Um, that game showed a little bit of some of the cracks in Phoenix's system slightly, but then again, that was in the early goings when we, we really hadn't seen Rick Schantz been able to establish the, the system and style of play that he wanted. We were just starting to get a glimpse of what some of those things could be, and so that that performance, the, the lineup looked a lot different than we're likely to see this weekend. I mean, we see Xavi Perez in, in midfield, Lamar Batista at left back, Tristan Blackman at right back, uh, and then Ben Spencer starting up top as well. It's it a much different group than we're likely to see this weekend. And of course, we had Riverdale subbing in in uh, added time at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Nothing like cutting off uh, just the last bit of the game for Riverdale. Um but, you know, that's the way it goes, I guess, with the way USL broadcasting is, is structured at the moment. Uh, so that was the first time these two teams matched up this year. Later in the season, in, back in July, we saw a much different game. Although, in some ways, it was a, a little bit eerily similar, at least in the early, early goings. There was a 6-0 win that Phoenix won at Casino Arizona Field back in July. Um, but despite the you know the plethora of goals that Phoenix scored, the first half was a little bit slower. Uh, the first half, Phoenix maybe didn't get out to exactly the start they wanted, despite jumping on the board early through Solomon Asante, a well-placed shot into the bottom corner. They did they did score that goal and head into halftime with a 1-0 lead. Uh, but at that point, I think Rick Schantz had made a comment about how, how the team maybe could have actually been down in that game and not gone into halftime leading Austin. Of course, um, he, he mentioned today that yeah, the team is guarding against complacency effectively because in that first half they could have been 2 0 down. Uh, he felt that players such as Kleber, who uh, is not going to be featuring in this game, by the way, because he is currently suspended after he was sent off against Real Monarchs for spitting at an opponent. Um, he's currently serving a four-game suspension for that one. Uh, but he felt that he was dangerous. Uh, Guadarrama, who scored in the first game, he didn't feature uh, at Casino Arizona Field. But again, that's something that um, I mentioned it today to... To Rick, he said that he didn't feel that was necessarily as important. He thinks it was more ch the change in how Rising played. He feels that Rising, when they went into that first game over in Austin, it was still, as we said, it's very, very early. It was back when he was still experimenting with the team. They just had their first victory, in fact, uh, on the weekend prior in El Paso. They go there on a Wednesday night. There were barn animal noises playing out over the PA. It was a real circus, let's be honest. But he, he puts out quite a, a changed 11 for that game, including some players who we haven't seen since. Um, some of them went down to Tucson. I, was, I have no idea where they've gone. Um, but it was a changed 11. They didn't do well. They come back here. They struggled in that first half, put five on them in the second. Um 
if you look last night now, obviously they they had their playing game last night uh, against Los Dos. And what was interesting to me in that one is that Austin are the only team in the playing round to actually come out of that with a clean sheet. And Owen, Owen watched that game. I was not able to, to tune into that match last night. But that is something, I think, their defensive ability in that opening game against Los Dos, who, you know, now under a new coach, have shown some attacking ability late on in the season, have talent as well, so maybe some fringe MLS-level talent. Being able to keep a clean sheet in that match is something that I, I think Phoenix Rising will be aware of, will be uh, preparing themselves for, obviously, Rick Schantz and the coaching staff are going to look through the film if they haven't already. They're going to look through and see where there are some potential areas that Phoenix can expose Austin a little bit. But the fact that they were able to keep a clean sheet in that game does give Austin a little bit of positive momentum heading into this one. And and frankly, they're going to need all of that they can get because of Phoenix's attack. You know, you look at that front three. Adam John and Solomon Asante both got on the board in the last game that Phoenix had against Austin, again, back in July. And those guys, along with Junior Flemings in the midfield as well, John Baccaro and Jose Aguinaga, they're all going to be looking to get involved in the attack, especially here on Saturday when they have the home field advantage playing in front of the home fans. Phoenix is going to be really looking to push that ball forward. And Austin's ability to deal with that pressure from Phoenix, especially in wide areas, and then maybe moving the ball forward from Solomon Asante and Mustafa Numbuya on the right side into Adam John. And, and a late arriving run from either Lambert or Becker or Aguinaga from midfield. Austin's ability to cope with that pressure and to deal with those things is going to be a really big key for them uh, later this weekend. It is. And uh, on the other side of the field, then, you're going to have Austin on the attack. From what I saw last night, um, Guadarrama played. He was an important part. Tuomasi played. He was very quick. Um, that was something that stood out to me, is just the speed that, that Tuomasi brought on the counter-attacks, and at times it looked like he, you know, he had the pace to burn. He'd run on the counter-attack, he'd take the ball all the way up the other end, and he'd think just that little bit too long before he actually did anything with it. But if he can get uh, his head around what he's doing, you know, and he's not just running, then he could definitely pose a danger for Rising. Is there, Owen, in your mind, is there, you know, we come out and the game starts on Saturday, is there any concern from a Phoenix perspective knowing how they started the last match you know, back in July and knowing how they had some difficulties early on in the season against Austin, is there any concern in your mind that the players will, will have sort of a similar beginning to that game and, and maybe not be able to fight against the complacency that sort of has been one of the buzzwords being tossed around in training this week? I mean, the players and, and the coaching staff are very certain that they won't bring any complacency into this. They think that they have... You know, they, they're well aware of their vulnerability. They're well aware of the fact that at the moment, Rising is the team that has the big target on its back. They're aware of the fact that, you know, when you're coming in and you're playing at home, that is where the pressure is. Your fans are expecting a result. You know, Austin come here, they don't really have any pressure on them at all. No one's expecting Austin to come here and get a result. So at the end of the day, what do they have to lose? Um, the other thing that's, that's interesting with Austin, of course, is that they, they are playing for something in their minds. They are, they're playing in, in memory of a, a fallen teammate, and they, they're kind of playing for pride in that sense, in, in trying to do this for him. And it definitely gives them that extra motivation. Uh, I know Rising, when you look at it, you know, after last season, the way that they fell in Louisville, they came back, they're saying this is the year that they're going to do it. And, you know, you, you, no one can argue that they, they, they put their money where their mouth is, the owners, they've, they've brought in some, some top players and there are other players who carried on who still have that memory from Louisville. 
um, and playing at home is going to give you motivation as well. But you do wonder if Austin might just have the edge there. I think that, I mean, it's possible from a motivation perspective, looking at, you know, some of the difficulties that Austin have had to deal with this season, that we see them come out with that intensity. And, and for Phoenix, just from a strictly tactical on-field perspective, that's going to be something that they need to work together to overcome. And I, at the same time, I'm not necessarily concerned. You know, when I ask you that question, in my mind, I'm not as concerned about Phoenix starting slowly. Sure, we've seen them start out a little flat at times this season, even at home. Uh, there have been games where they haven't come out with the intensity that I think Rick Schantz would have preferred to see from his team. But even if we do see them have some difficulties in that area, I think their overall ability, you know, whether that's from the starting lineup or guys coming in off the bench with some impact substitutions, I think they have the talent and the skill to win this game. You know, in looking at that lineup and, and maybe some bench options as well, Owen, do you have in your mind what you think the, you know, Chance's preferred starting lineup will be in this game and maybe some, some bench options? We can kind of go back and forth as well if you'd like. I think we're going to be looking starting 11-wise at a very similar lineup to what we saw last week. Um, I know that, that Rick in the past has said, you know, he wanted to have his, his playoff 11 kind of ready and out there in that final game against OKC. Um, I think that we're very likely to see a, a very familiar back four, of course. We're likely to see Lubin in goal. The midfield trio, yeah, there may be some room to tinker with that. I'm not entirely sure. And the front three, of course, is going to be as everyone expects it to be. And that's almost what you've, you've come to expect Phoenix to put out a very particular type of team to play a very particular type of way. And regardless of results... Yeah, Rick has been insistent that is how the team is going to play. They're not changing how they're going to play for the opponents as such. They're playing the Phoenix Rising way, and they're just going to have to execute and play better than their opponent. And that's, I think that area, that specific mentality, is something that personally I admire uh, f from a coaching perspective. Building a system and sticking with it even when it's not going well or it's not getting the results that you've wanted. And, and at times that can be challenging though, from both from a fan perspective and just from sort of an objective bystander perspective. I mean, we've seen Phoenix late, late in the year, you know, maybe right before that OKC game even, or I, I suppose before we saw them beat Portland Timbers to away in Providence Park, we saw them scuffle a little bit late in the season, you know, at the beginning of September a 1-0 win over San Antonio, a 1-0 win over Las Vegas. Neither one of those games was anything close to the dominant performance that, that we know Phoenix Rising are capable of putting in. And then later in the month of September, a loss to Fresno and a draw away to New Mexico. Those games, we saw sort of the limitations that can occur when Phoenix, when the players don't move the ball as quickly as they have to to disorganize a little bit of a more compact defense. And, and I think that's something that I personally am keying in on for these you know, this first playoff game and then beyond if Phoenix is fortunate enough to make it that far, looking at how they're able to use the ball to, to break down sort of a, a more compact defense. I don't know exactly how committed Austin will be to defending if they're going to want to come out and, and start aggressive early on. That seems much more unlikely to me than them taking a little bit more of a solid defensive approach. But Austin, you know, however deep they sit, 
Phoenix's effective ability to move the ball quickly in possession from side to side is going to be absolutely key for this game. We saw in that game back in July against Austin, we saw Phoenix use a little bit of an overload to isolate concept, which is when they push numbers wide to one wing, they they bring the midfielders over to that side and they combine with the ball side fullback and a winger. So if it's on Phoenix's right side, that would be Dembuya and Asante combining. And then maybe we see Lambert and Piquero over there as well. Aguinaga might come closer to the midline and like the, the horizontal excuse me, the vertical midline of the field rather than over on his typical left side of midfield. We'd see them overload that and then and then switch the ball over to the other side, whether that's to Junior Flemings or to Amadou Dia on the left side. Phoenix's ability to use combinations and sequences of play like that, I think we saw them get away from that a little bit in September or, or in some of the other games they haven't been at their best offensively this season. If they get back to that against Austin, and they've shown that before, against this Austin Bowl team. If they can do that on Saturday, that's going to be a huge boon to their ability to break them down and to actually get on the board early. You do worry a bit, don't you, that if if Rising are struggling to break down an opponent, especially given we've seen it happen a few times this season, and now they are playing some of the best teams in the in the league. I mean, Austin, maybe you don't put them in that conversation, but after that, we're going to be you know the, the team that presuming they get through is going to be facing the four five seed and then you're facing you know the the top teams in this conference and league and if if they're struggling against some of the opposition when they've traveled away to break down vegas to break down new mexico then doesn't that make you worry more that they're going to struggle to break down these top teams as well i mean there's definitely a sense of that right i think even though they probably wouldn't tell you directly, people on the inside of, of the club, whether that's players or coaches, you know, there's always that little bit of concern just sort of nagging in the back of your mind because of how this style works. I mean, this is this is what Rick Schantz has chosen to live and die by. You know, he's not able to sit deep, invite the other team to go forward and then counter. That's a constant thing. You're always able to play without the ball. You know, it's. I think the, the expression goes, it's always easier to win without the ball than it is to win with the ball. And I, I really do believe that that rings true, especially here with with the way we've seen Phoenix adopt that style of play this season. So yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think it would be foolish not to just be aware of that. And, and if you're a player or, or a coach, use it as motivation. Use it as motivation to move the ball quicker, to, to get into spaces faster, and to really make sure that it's not an issue. Because if, if this style is truly Phoenix Rising's identity, at least for as long as Rick Schantz is here in Phoenix, then they're going to have these types of games. If we if we see them built into the type of you know, perennial contender in this era, at least that it, it kind of seems like they're they're prone to be in the USL, these these are the type of games and the type of opponents and the type of questions that they're going to have to ask themselves coming into big moments in, late in the season and the postseason like this one. So in your mind, who would you pick as the starting trio in midfield? That's a great question. I think you you hit on it a little bit. That's really the only area where there's any amount of uncertainty. Um, but I do believe, especially with some of the comments that we've heard coming out of training and, and just the recent performances that we've seen, that it's going to be that same midfield three that we saw against Oklahoma City. Uh, Kevon Lambert, Kevin, Kevon, Kevin, you know, nobody knows. Yeah. Kevin, as Zach, as Zach Lubin would say, I thought it was Kevin. Um, but I think he'll be playing that, that more holding, although when Lambert plays it, it's really not so much a holding midfield position uh, directly in front of the, the two center backs. And then it'll be Baccaro and Aguinaga flanking him. Really the only kind of room, wiggle room there is with James Musa. You know, he and Lambert are very different 
players stylistically. Lambert is more athletic. He can cover ground better. Musa is a little bit better on the ball. His left foot is, is probably outside of A.J. Cochran, or at least those two are right up there together for the smoothest left foot on this team. He's able to provide you know a little bit more quicker ball movement in possession, able to move the ball side to side. When Musa's in there, he brings that to the table. But Lambert, and I really do believe we saw this against Oklahoma City, I put this in my Rising Tactics recap column, his ability to just eat up that ground in midfield when he is playing a little bit more disciplined. You know, he allows the rest of his teammates to push forward in the attack like we're going to have to see against Austin from Phoenix. He allows them to get forward, and then he can cover ground himself. He can cover the ground of, of maybe what James Musa could do and then another player in midfield because he has those long legs. He can step into passing angles and win the ball, and he's just quick and relentless. And against OKC, that it was really getting to their attacking players and their midfielders. There were moments in the game where it looked like they didn't even want to go past midfield because they knew they were about to run into a wall, essentially, in midfield. So I do believe that it's going to be a Lambert, Baccaro, Aguinaga midfield trio. I thought earlier on in the season when we when Musa was playing a little bit more regularly that he would be the type of player for these sort of games when Phoenix had to break down a lower compact defense because of his ability on the ball. But I think the way Shantz and the rest of the coaching staff view it is that when you have Lambert in there, though he doesn't have the same capabilities on the ball, what he brings defensively allows the rest of his teammates to, to push more aggressively, and then that compensates for the offensive ability. So you'd only consider that Musa and Lambert are the, the two that, that could be swapped out, or do you think that we could even see one of the others swapped out? Uh, I, don't th- I don't think we'll see them removed from the starting lineup because... You look at the bench options, and it's mostly Joey Calistri right now. I don't think I mean, you probably have a better update on PLV's status than I do, um, but I think it's it's mostly Calistri who's involved in that spot right now. And I think the value that he brings off the bench, able to come in, you know, on the wing, on the left wing, on the right wing, or into one of those outside midfield spots, Shantz values that and in his ability to come into the lineup late in games and, and change the momentum of a match if necessary off the bench. I don't believe that that Shantz will want to go away from that and and start Kalistri. I think he's more valuable in sort of a super sub role, for lack of a better term. So Peter Lee Vassell, of course, you mentioned him there. Um, We haven't seen him for a few weeks. He did go back to LAFC, had a hamstring issue. Uh, Should have been coming back here over the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure that I've seen him, to be honest. So it's very plausible that we may have seen the end of Peter Lee Vassell. He is playoff eligible, though if he were to come back, because he did complete the uh, requisite five games. He actually played in six. So he is eligible to play, whether we see him or not. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a, That whole Peter Lee Vassal ordeal was if, almost now in hindsight kind of ridiculous to go back and, and look at some of the reaction that came in response to Phoenix announcing him on loan. You know, He came here and he trained earlier in the season, and then they did formally announce him. But the push to get him so many games was understandable at the time because we did, you know, it made sense for Phoenix to push for him to become playoff eligible, like you mentioned, Owen. But at this point, it it really does seem like he's not a huge factor or he won't be a huge factor in how the team progresses through the postseason. Would would you actually put him in there uh, ahead of any of the others or do you think that he's a bench player at best? That's that's the most interesting part because if, if the decision were up to me, there's no way he's making it into the lineup over Joey Calistri or I mean, Musa is not the same because they play different positions in midfield. But just because we haven't seen great things from, from PLV in the minutes that he's played this season, he's, he's okay and you could see the talent uh, in, in a few matches. His speed of play, his ability to move into different spaces off the ball, these things that Bob Bradley emphasizes much like Rick Schantz does. 
at LAFC versus here in Phoenix. You could see some of that translate over, but he never was truly able to get established, at least in my opinion. I don't think he showed enough to warrant playoff minutes. And so now we're seeing guys like Kalistri continue to make an impact. And now you've got Jason Johnson and Alessandro Rigi as well, even though they're more attacking-minded options than POV. I don't, I don't think that, that Vassal could jump those, any of those players necessarily for a spot on the bench if, if you're looking specifically at his ability to come in and potentially impact the team this season. Now, Alessandro's an interesting one because I don't think any of us really expected to see him listed on the bench last week. Of course, he didn't feature. But does that likely mean that we won't see him now for the end of the season? I mean, that was the question, right? We were all sort of just sitting in the press box, and, and when we got those lineup sheets and saw Riju's name sort of as the last, the last name on the team sheet, we were excited for him, obviously, because it has been a difficult season for him to, to be able to rehab and come back from that injury and, and make a push for that last regular season game. But, you know, he is playoff eligible. I don't, I don't think necessarily from a talent perspective he's at the top of the list to make that entrance onto the field as a substitution. We haven't seen great things from Jason Johnson either just because he has still been working his way back to fitness. Uh, but, but, I mean, anything's possible, right? Just because we didn't see him make the, his way onto the field against OKC, in my mind at least, doesn't completely eliminate his ability to come and make an impact in the playoffs. I don't know. what. So, Owen, do you think Rigi or a guy like Jason Johnson or Kalistri, are we going to see these guys have to be brought into the game by Shantz and make meaningful impacts? And, and if so, which guy or which guys are you thinking is most likely to be able to play that difference maker role off the bench? Well, I think that Kalistri has, has showed this season that he can come on off the bench. He can make a change. I mean, you only have to look at games like New Mexico where he, he came on, he gets those two goals and rescues the game. And that's not the only time that he's come on and found goals when he needed it. And Ben Spencer has done very similarly as well at the top. Um, but he... I think that Jason Johnson is still not quite match fit. I think we saw that last week. Uh, a lot of his passes, it was quite sloppy. His head just didn't seem quite in it, um, if anything. And I know that he, he disappeared off the radar for a couple of weeks after he made his first comeback. And whether that has, has partly impacted him as well there, I'm not sure. Alessandro, he hasn't played competitively for over a year. It's a huge, huge problem. It, it is. And I mean, it, the hope initially was that he was going to be sent down to Tucson. Unfortunately, by the time he was actually fit, it was too late to send him to Tucson. The roster freeze had already passed. And he was stuck up here in Phoenix trying to get minutes in a team that's, you know, doing quite well. <laughs> and even when he returned to full training, even then he wasn't still wasn't quite fully match fit. You kind of hope if... The Austin game goes as the last one did. And if you are looking at the last five minutes and you're up by a long, long way, the game is not in doubt, maybe you could bring him on. But I don't think you're at a point at all where you could rely on Alessandro to come on and change the game because he's just not had enough game time. It's, it's like when we look at Jason Johnson and say, as you mentioned, that he's probably still not at match fitness yet, even though he has already come back and gotten some sporadic minutes off the bench in these last couple of games. I think it's unrealistic to look at Rigi and say, you know, he could you know, elevate what Jason Johnson is bringing. He could bring more to the table because you're exactly right. He wasn't able to go down to Tucson and he hasn't gotten minutes. So in my mind, it does seem a little bit unlikely that we see him come off the bench and, and be a difference maker. It's more... 
I think it's more likely that we see Kalistri, Spencer, Jason Johnson come in as those primary attacking substitutions in these on Saturday, and then again if Phoenix is able enough to advance, is able to advance to the next round of this postseason as well. Uh, you mentioned New Mexico briefly. I think that might be their first mention on this podcast so far, or maybe I missed one at the beginning. But uh, you slipped that in there for the little Joey Calistri comment in his impact off the bench in that game. Uh, you were out at training. You've been out at training. I have not been able to come out as much to those recently. But we are going to go through some comments that players and coaches have made uh, from, from Phoenix Rising's training ground at Casino Arizona Field. And New Mexico did, did feature in, in, in one of those comments. They did indeed. So here is AJ Cochran on uh, not playing New Mexico this weekend. I think we would have been, you know, excited to play New Mexico again. Um, of course, they're a very good team, and you know they came in at tenth, you know, in tenth spot. But how many times do you see a wild card team in baseball, or you know, win the whole thing, or um, you know, just creep into the playoffs and then winning the whole thing? So, um, you know, of course, we were happy to you know see Sacramento win that game because um, Mexico is a very good team. Not saying that Sacramento's not, but uh, we would have played anyone on Saturday. Excited to play New Mexico. Owen, what do you make of, of Cochran's comments there and in, in sort of the circumstances surrounding that matchup against Sacramento? I mean, we, we, we all know that there is definitely some tension there, not just off the field, but a little bit on the field between the boys in New Mexico. Uh, Josh Shuggs' comments on a podcast a few weeks ago only added to that. Oh, Josh. Um, oh, yeah. Josh. I, <laughs> But when you, I'm not entirely sure why he said what he said, especially for a captain of a, of a USL team. It's he should know better than that. Um, but of course, the boys here, you know, they wanted to have a go back at them. They wanted to to have that chance to to finally get the win over New Mexico. And and Adam John said very similar things shortly afterwards. You know, they wanted the chance to get out there and get that win because it's something they haven't managed to do this season. Um, I think it's it's very quickly becoming probably Rising's biggest rivalry, and the chance to do that, you know, to to knock them out of the playoffs at home, of course, you know, you you always want to do that. You want to knock anyone out at home in the playoffs in front of your own fans. But if you can knock out one of your biggest rivals, that's also it's just massive. But is there is there a little bit of naivety coming from these comments? You know. Cochran was was very specific in you know he qualified his statement as he continued to respond to that question about New Mexico but we haven't seen Phoenix beat New Mexico this season so if if I'm a player selfishly if I'm a Phoenix Rising player or a member of the coaching staff or front office I want nothing to do with New Mexico regardless of whether the game is at Casino Arizona Field or on their baseball stadium in Albuquerque I don't want to have to come up against New Mexico and prove to myself or prove to anyone that, yeah, we could have beaten them all along and we just decided to wait to the postseason. There's so much risk in that statement, in that attitude, that it's almost, you know, for me, it's a little bit of a relief that we we don't have to deal with that. You know, obviously from a media perspective, that's part of it. But putting myself in the shoes of these players as well, it seems a, a little bit naive. And maybe just it's just confidence. Maybe it's not overconfidence. Maybe it's just confidence that these guys believe so much in their abilities. But from what I've seen against New Mexico this season from a Phoenix perspective is a New Mexico team that's really, really good at playing soccer. They're capable. Obviously, there have been inconsistent performances. Even from Phoenix, we've seen inconsistencies this season. So I understand that New Mexico has has maybe elevated their performances slightly when they have matched up with Phoenix. I think that's fair to say. 
But every time I've seen New Mexico match up against Phoenix Rising, I've seen a team that's 100% capable of, of going toe-to-toe, maybe not from a talent perspective, but from a stylistic perspective. I think these teams are fully capable. New Mexico is fully capable of beating Phoenix. So uh, my long, winding question to you, Owen, is is that overconfidence? Is it naivety? What What is fueling these players' desire to want to match up with New Mexico? Is, is it their desire to prove to themselves that they can do it? What is behind that? I mean, I think part of it is mindset, and it's part of that mindset why we're here talking into the microphones and not out there on the pitch. <laughs> I mean, it's a talent barrier there as well. Sli- just slightly. But, you know, you... you- you, you won't ever get a player say to you that they're not up for it, that they're not up to take on whoever, because they're always out there. They're always proving themselves. And they, they haven't got the results against New Mexico this year. And they want it. That's the thing. Especially, as I said, that rivalry that's developing, not just off the pitch, but on the pitch. They want it. They want to, to show that, you know, they, they almost want to, to shut New Mexico up. And I know there are a lot of fans who wanted that as well. Of course, the problem with that comes that as many of those uh, <laughs> fans here that would like to shut New Mexico up, uh, you know, they already find New Mexico's fans insufferable, and I'm not sure quite how they'd have taken it if we'd have lost that game. Uh, you know, losing to anyone in the first round is going to be hard to take after seeing a team put together the season that they have. Losing to New Mexico would have just been probably the lowest of the low that this team could have had to end the season. Uh, that would have been sort of just to sit back and watch the world burn sort of moment uh, here in Phoenix if that had taken place like that. I think I think at this point we've given New Mexico more than enough airtime, especially considering Phoenix isn't actually playing them on Saturday. So let's go ahead and move on to a couple of other uh, topics that came out of training this week. We've got another clip. This is something that I had written about earlier this season a couple of times since Corey Whelan has come into the fold and really become a fixture at that center back spot next to AJ Cochran. I, I think he's he's been excellent this season. I've written about that a number of times. But we've got some audio digging a little bit deeper and, and from a better perspective than I can give on Corey Whelan's impact in the team this season. I think it, Corey has exceeded expectations, really. Um, we knew he was good with his feet. He was a very good passer. Uh, we actually saw him play as a right back, as a, as a defensive central midfielder. So, um, you know, we needed a guy that uh, that could be good on the ball if we were going to dominate possession. But he's really been an outstanding individual defender as well. So Corey's been fantastic. And um, AJ has done very well in the air for us. He's a strong defender. He's a smart guy. Very good at organizing, but the best thing is that Mala and Joey push them every day, and they compete for time, they compete for the opportunities, and uh, you know it's it's a good group of four to to have to choose only two. Okay, so we heard Rick's thoughts there on Corey and on the the back, you know, the centre half pairing of of Corey and AJ. What are your thoughts on it, though, Joe? Well, first, I love such a classic Sean's response, you know, making sure that he includes all the guys at that position throughout this entire season, always in in questions asking him about roster decisions or, you know, starting lineups or any of those things. You always get him talking about the rest of the options or at least giving credit to the guys that aren't playing. It's why we heard so much about Ramon Howell, despite the fact we've never seen him play. Ramon Howell is Rick Schantz's favorite player, it seems, even though he can never actually crack the lineup. Uh, It's that sort of theme, though, that we see here. And I think that's something that players like from their coach, and it's something that can be respected when you look at all those guys who can get on the field and are pushing each other for minutes. All of that said, 
I think one of the most interesting parts of that quote from Shantz, and we heard it earlier this season as well when Whelan came into the team in the first place, was his positional versatility, right? And so we've we've only seen him play center back here in Phoenix, but that's that's not to say that he hasn't played other spots in the past, and I think that shines through when you watch him play. Sean specifically mentioned right back in there, and so when, you, when I watch Whelan, I see some of those tendencies, his ability to cover ground, his ability to get forward a little bit even in possession, his ability to track back and cover for A.J. Cochran as well. All of those things, he has the athletic ability that, that is required of, of maybe a more defensive-minded fullback, sure, but, but a fullback nonetheless. And so for Cochran's sake, someone who's not the fastest, who's good in the air, as Sean's mentioned, having a player in there like Whelan is so key to his ability to stay in the lineup because against a fast counterattacking team, if you have two maybe slightly defensively liable center backs in there, it's difficult to be able to take advantage of A.J. Cochran's offensive capabilities because he is so good with his left foot. He's so good at breaking the lines with his passing, and so often that makes Phoenix's attack tick. But when you have a player like Corey Whelan who has those defensive intangibles and, and reads the game well, that's, that's such a cliche, right? How do you measure that? Well, I think when you watch Whelan, you can see it a little bit. You can see his vision, his ability to just, just sort of be in the right place at the right time. That's a skill. It's not luck. At this point, we've seen it happen over and over again. And so especially in these upcoming playoff games where every defensive you know, transition moment matters so much, Phoenix talks about offensive defending. When they push forward to defend immediately after they lose the ball, they press and press to try to win it back. Not all the time, but a large percentage of the time. Having Whelan back there as sort of the safety net is huge. And so in my mind, we really have seen just a seismic shift in how Phoenix's backline has played. It's, it's not to say that Joey Farrell and Mala, again, as Sean's talked about, aren't good options at center back. We've seen them be very productive at times this season and make huge impacts. But both for Whelan's own personal defensive ability and for his ability to, to cover Cochran's weaknesses a little bit, I think that's that's part of why he's been such a, a massive addition into this back line. And would you say that, you know, obviously Whelan, you definitely want him in the back four. Do you think that AJ is the right partner for him or do you think he might pair up better with one of the others? I think AJ is the perfect partner. It, it's not... It's not a perfect relationship just because both players have their own personal flaws. So it's not like a perfect tandem by any stretch, but they do complement each other really well. Whelan is decent in the air, but maybe Cochran's a little bit of a better aerial defender. And Whelan's faster than Cochran. Cochran's slightly better on the ball. So you have this kind of give and take. Both players are somewhat well-rounded. They have their deficiencies, obviously, but they do they do pair off of each other well. And, and with the fullbacks as well on each side, Whelan is, is great in combination with Dimbuya on that right side because... They're both comfortable interchanging vertical channels even. We could see Whelan drift a little bit wider when Dimbuya ventures forward. Dimbuya can tuck into midfield and Whelan can adjust and play off of him. All of those relationships, Cochran on the other side, when Dia pushes forward, he can slide a little bit wider. All of these things, these little factors that play into how a backline functions, I think Whelan and Cochran really make, that, make those things function as those center backs. So then speaking of the defensive tactics, uh, I spoke to Solo earlier this week and he said that one of the things that the team needs to look out for this week is to be more more disciplined um, and how the, the, the attack and the, the defence almost interact. And so here's what he said. We want to win, um, we want to do everything correct. So then we need to be, we need to be tactically disciplined. Um, we cannot just attack, attack, attack and then leave the defence. So I think we are going to do everything compact and then try and win. Just one zero. We just need one goal and then done. Solo at the at the end of that quote mentioned being compact, and I think there's a key distinction to make there because 
it, it's easy to think of the word compact as, you know, and I use this in my writing a lot, it, as a team just sitting back and being passive and, and waiting to win the ball deep in their own half and then pushing forward. But I don't think that's what Solo's talking about here. I think he's using the term compact in a slightly different way. We're, we're still going to see, at least I'm expecting to see Phoenix press a little bit or at least press and use that offensive defending to win the ball after. And I think what he's really hitting at here is that the team wants to be compact once once they push forward. And so you can be compact high or you can be compact low. And I, I'd expect that we're going to see them do a little bit of both. But I think it's really interesting that he draws that distinction out. He talks about that specifically as something that they're emphasizing. And for you, Owen, is that, you know, Solo's conversation about a little bit about tactics there, is that encouraging to see from, from a player who is the offensive star? You get to see him have a little bit of a say in how the team defends and how they want to approach this game as a whole. I mean, it's encouraging. You kind of expect it, though, because Solo is the captain. You know, he should be thinking about these things and thinking more tactically on the field what they're doing. And you'd hope that he, he has got his head in that as well. Um, but it is definitely encouraging for a player who is leading your team in goals, is leading the t- well, leading the league in goals, leading the league in assists, that he's also thinking defensively what can the team do because, as he said, it can't just be attack, attack, attack because they are going to concede goals, especially as you come up against some of the best teams in this league. Absolutely. I like, I like that point you made there about him being the captain. I think it speaks to Solo's quality as that leader inside the locker room, I just, you know, thinking of LAFC, since we drew a comparison to them earlier in talking about PLB's time here in Phoenix, I have a hard time seeing Carlos Vela come out and, and talk about how his team needs to be disciplined defensively in addition to, or like, or, or maybe he'll talk about how other players need to be disciplined defensively, but as a, as a total unit, as this whole group of players starting at the front, that's how Phoenix defense is starting at the front and from the front to the back. Seeing Solo throughout the year come up with key interceptions in midfield and high above midfield as well shows that he is willing to to put in defensive effort, and that has such a huge positive impact on how this team defends it, and it does sort of tie in well with his overall leadership capabilities. A whole unit of players, a <laughs> collective, you might say. You you might, and I, I took care not to, but I'm glad you circled us all the way back around to that because it really wouldn't be a late-season Phoenix Rising podcast without saying that word at least once on air. Oh, absolutely not. But since we're talking about solo... The elephant in the room, of course. Oh, boy. He's missed three penalties in a row. And he's been the penalty taker all season, barring, of course, when he was out of the country. Um, And then Adam came in, stepped up, and, and took over for him. Should Solo be taking the penalties, I suppose, is the question. Here's what he said earlier this week. I'm the leader and then um, I take responsibilities, so um, why not? Um, I'm still the leader and then I'm still the first in penalty kick, so um, I'll go for it. I'll go for it. Why not? Why not and I'll go for it? Those are two just beautifully stated little segments from that quote. It's Okay, Owen, if you're, if you're the manager and you have this decision to make, or, or if you're Solo, even, what do you do in the situation? How do you approach this? What's the right call here? I mean, from Solo's perspective, he wants to get over it, surely. Um, I, I mean, the, the way, and we can laugh about how, uh, how he worded it. Yeah, I'll go for it. Sure, why not? But in some ways, that's not a bad sign, actually. He seems quite casual about it. He's not, it, it doesn't sound as though it's eating him up. Whereas some players, it would, you know, is... 
penalties are as much a mental game as they are anything else. Um, and the good thing there is it doesn't sound like it's eating him up. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I think from Rick's perspective, he probably should be having more of a word with, with Solo. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Solo will now turn around and score two from the spot on Saturday uh, and make me eat my words, and I won't be disappointed if he does so. However, you do have to think, after three penalty misses in a row, surely it's got to be getting to him a bit. You'd think so. It's it's a little crazy to me that this is the the narrative. This is the discussion because so many things have gone Phoenix's way this season, but this is huge, right? In the postseason, these, this discussion about who the penalty kick taker should be and, and whether Solo's mentality when he approaches the penalty spot is enough to be able to put the ball in the back of the net because he has the skill, obviously. That's never in doubt. You know, any professional player can score penalties a high, high percentage of the time, but it really is that mental block. And now is just the worst possible time to be having this whole discussion. It's it's brutal for Phoenix's Rising's Phoenix Rising's playoff you know hopes of the season. Not that it's gonna necessarily play a huge role, but if it does, it's gonna impact the game in a massive way. So in my mind, I think it really should be a conversation between Solo and Adam John in the moment because John is a quality, quality striker. I think you know, that's clear to see from what we've we've seen from him this season. Solo as well. He has the skill. So it really is just about, and Adam said this after after the last game against Oklahoma City, you know, if he's feeling it, he's going to take it. And, and Solo kind of had that little little feeling to him as well when he delivered that quote, that response to the question about penalties. If if he's feeling in the moment, he's going to take it. If not, I think Solo is the type of leader that would that would be willing theoretically to delegate um, to a guy like Adam John. Not to anyone, uh, but Adam has proved himself to to the team this season and in this league. It, it's it's a, such a sticky situation, and frankly, I don't know what the right answer is. So the thing about it though is that Solo. Do you ever actually see him not feeling it? You know, whether he is or he isn't, I think if you give Solo the ball from 12 yards out and say, put it away, he's always going to want it. That's a great point. He always wants it. Oh, man. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right because he has almost, I want to use the word audacity at times. Like he, he always is up for it. He always wants that responsibility on his shoulders because not, number one, he is the captain, and number two, he, he is the most talented player on this team and, and one of the most talented players in the league. So in a sense, he has the right to have that desire and to want to take all those responsibilities. And that's, that's why even on a team, the most stacked team in the league with all this attacking talent and all this quality midfield talent as well, that's why it's such a, a wild discussion because on, on other teams, if a wildly talented player started missing penalties, you just give it to the next guy. But with Phoenix and with Solo's personality and his leadership and the responsibility he's taken on after Didier Drogba left the club, it, it makes this a whole whole more complicated discussion than it would otherwise be in most situations. And of course it's complicated because the player in question is the captain. You know, normally you've got that opportunity for the captain or just say, no, give it to the next guy. You can't do that with Solo because he is the captain. <laughs> You can't. He is he is the leader, and that's something that is that Rick Schantz has preached throughout this entire season is how important Solo's leadership has been to this team in their first year, sort of as as a whole new team after Drogba left. And so that complicates it even more. It's 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 such a sticky situation and 
I mean, ideally, from Phoenix's point of view, they'll not have to worry about this. They won't have to take key penalties in the playoffs. But realistically, maybe that's not an option. Maybe maybe the situation is going to come up. And in that moment, I think it's going to be extremely interesting to see how Solo's, number one, his body language. Number two, whether there is a conversation between him and Shantz in the moment or between him and Adam John. Seeing how those events unfold on the field is is going to be extremely interesting to me. And I think on this one, Rick has taken a bit of a hands-off. He's left Solo to make up his own mind in this one. If Solo were to miss another penalty, be it in you know open play or if it's in um, a penalty shootout, is that the point you think that he has to step in and, and actually take the ball off of Solo? I mean, we keep asking it though, right? I mean... Three in now. When 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 is where is the line? Right? Is it at three? Is it at four? Is it at five? Is it should it have been at two? We don't know at this point. It's it's impossible to speculate. Right? We can go back and forth and, and wonder about this. I I'd like to say that if I were in Chance's shoes, that I would have already had that conversation. But you know, it's a whole different set of experiences that they've had together as a team this season. Maybe taking away that responsibility from Asante is going to have a ripple effect and, and affect a ton of other areas of the team's morale and mentality and on-field play as well. You just don't know. We don't know what that would cause, what that decision, if, if Shantz were to take penalties away from Asante and make that decision himself unilaterally. We don't know what effect that would have. So it's, it's I guess it's easy for me to say, yeah, it just logically and objectively it would make more sense to have adam john take the penalties on paper it might at this point right but but maybe it would have more of an effect than we realize to make that decision from a coaching perspective and i think we will leave it there so for those of you joining us thank you very much you've listened to the first ever o and joe show make sure to keep an eye out we will be coming back throughout the playoffs presuming that rising make it through of course Uh, But for today, that's all from us. (laughs) 